Okay, you can turn to Genesis 1 and 2. Last week was talking about uh, how we were designed, just in our frame, designed to encounter God. That we have the ability, we have the longings, the capacity, and that is our inheritance. And there is nothing wrong with uh, pursuing and desiring uh, pretty intensely actually to encounter Jesus. There's nothing selfish about it. Um, I was saying it last week, but it's sanctified. It's Holy Spirit uh, selfishness that we would long to encounter Jesus in a personal way. We want that corporately, but God made us with longings and desires, and He wants those things on fire. It's called being lovesick for Jesus or on fire for Jesus, and so He loves that. And that is one of the, uh, to some degree, a prerequisite for Him to touch us is hunger and desire and longing. And so He's He's designed us with that on the inside. So I'm just going to review that for a second. Designed for encounter. Just... um, Two main points I want to talk about tonight is designed for encounter. I'm just going to review a little bit of that. And then Genesis 2, talking about Jesus' longing for companionship. So tonight's teaching is called Jesus' longing for an eternal companion. Jesus' longing for an eternal companion or a friend or a bride. So just review, we were designed for encounter with God. This is every single one of us. This is all of our uh, inheritance. It's our portion. It's our calling. And no matter what your job is or your ministry skill set is or, or your giftings, they are a far second below experiencing Jesus in real tangible ways. That is every single believer's calling is to stand before him, to hear him whisper, to have the Bible move your heart. For there to be tears, for there to be real emotions of joy, hope, and peace. And God to touch us with his love. And if that's not been your experience ever or it's not been consistent, it can be. It can be our experience to to experience those things with him. To touch his heart. So it's it's our calling. Just by the nature of how God has made us, how he's wired us on the inside, it's our calling to experience him. I think it was Abraham in Genesis 18-ish. He said, God is my exceedingly great reward. God is my reward on the inside. And for all of eternity, we're not just going to work with Jesus. We're going to experience him and partner with him. And if you look at Revelation 1 and 2 and 3, the different, uh, the rewards that Jesus promises to the overcoming church, they are glory resting on the human hearts. He goes, I will let you experience more glory if you overcome in this age. And so your reward, your prize for being faithful to Jesus till the end is experiencing more of him in the next age. And we all will, but there's going to be different degrees of that. And so that's, that's our calling. We were designed for pleasure. You just want to write that in your journal like a thousand times. I was designed for pleasure. And if, when, when I say that statement, you might have some red flags go off in your mind. <laughs> Those might be red flags to you that maybe there's something in you saying, well, I don't deserve pleasure from God. I thought pleasure was wrong. Well, I'm mostly talking about spiritual pleasures. It's not bad to experience earthly pleasures by any means, but they can definitely dull us to a degree. I'm mostly talking about spiritual pleasures, but God is the one that has set up so many things around us that are even earthly. And so we were designed for pleasure and God wants us to pursue that in a radical way. We are only healthy human beings if we experience God's pleasure for us. And if I'm being too mystical, what I'm meaning is to know what Jesus is like, his personality, how he feels, what he thinks about us, and for us to actually feel in our emotions, for our minds to begin to grasp that and be uh, fascinated and stuck in meditation on what he's like and how he feels about us and who we are to him. And that, when we experience those truths, that is a spiritual pleasure touching our spirit, our emotions, our minds. And so we were designed for that. Jesus loves that. We only love each other well when we have that uh, place in us touched. We only operate right. We only think right. We're only good parents if we experience God's pleasure first. So this is our eternal calling. It's our greatest calling. It's awesome. John Piper, a, a famous theologian in Minneapolis, he has a few different quotes, but... They're summed up to the degree of uh, we glorify God more if we enjoy him more. 
we actually worship him more, we obey him more, we adore him more, we give him more of us from the inside out if we enjoy him more. So the more of him we experience, which he is, he is pleasure, the definition, the more of him we experience, it actually revives something in us to give something back to him. He has another quote that says, the chief end or the chief purpose of man, the end purpose of your life is to enjoy him and glorify him. And so God is the joyful God. He's the filled with pleasure God, the glad God, the joyful God. And he's kind and patient or forgiving. He is just looking at us and his mood is always good. Yes, he does have anger and wrath, but there's a whole different story to that. He's slow to anger as well, by the way. And his anger is actually a jealous love for our hearts. He's never angry as in um, just shutting us out. He's, he's releasing his wrath on the nations. Again, that, it takes a while for him to do that. When he's releasing his anger or wrath in tangible ways, it is for the purpose of bringing people back to him in love. So it's him saying, I am so jealous for you. I'm going to remove every single obstacle in your natural lives that's removing your affections from mine. I'm going to remove them. I'm going to put you in a hard context that will awaken your heart for me. Okay, Genesis 1.26. Just reviewing this. Adam, uh, I'm sorry. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are talking or whatever they do. And they're making creation day after day after day. And then Genesis one twenty six, it's a dramatic statement. Uh, and you can just read through it. And just because you've grown up in the church, go, yeah, God made us in his image. What it means to be in the image of God is that we are spiritual beings primarily. And that we have a ability to connect directly to God because we are spirit beings. We mostly think that we are... Uh, bodies that have emotions and thoughts and we crave things and there's a spirit in there somewhere which we have no idea what that means we are spirit beings and we have mind will and emotions and we have a body that frames us but we are spiritual beings and god himself is spirit and we actually have direct connection to god in a spiritual way and it's hard to like touch that and define that but there's a real intimacy and revelation and there's communication happening because we are spirit beings We can perceive God because we can actually perceive things in the spirit. And with our natural bodies, we can touch, we can sense, we can taste things in the natural realm. Things that we can touch and see. But with our spirits, we can perceive things that are in the spirit realm. And that's what God is. That's who God is. We are spirit beings. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 12, it says that uh, God has given us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit himself actually is seeking out the Father and the Son. And He's going into their heart and He's going, God, what do you like in your thoughts and your emotions? This is the Holy Spirit searching Him out. I don't really know what that means. But He's going into the heart of the Father, going into the heart of Jesus. And it says, into the deep places of His heart. And He reveals them to us. Because He Himself is God and He reveals God to us. And so, it's a really cool idea, but we can begin to experience that reality that Holy Spirit will reveal the deep things of God's heart to us. He will reveal God's emotions to you. He will reveal what God is thinking about you. And they're usually good thoughts. (laughs) Sometimes when you think that, God's thinking about me. Uh Uh-oh. He knows the ten things I didn't do. He knows the ten bad things I did do today. God knows all that, but He's mostly thinking good thoughts about you. About your past, your present, and your future. And He's excited to reward you for all those things. And he, he, uh, he has his own editing process. You might be thinking, man, my devotional life is not good at all. Jesus must be like really upset and discouraged at me. And Jesus is going, you're five minutes longer than before. You're way further along than you were a couple of years ago. You did it. You could have gotten drunk. I mean, you're making real choices. You're trying to a degree. And there's, he knows the difficulty. So he has his own editing process where he goes, Actually, you're doing really good. Let me just cheer you on and help you and then keep asking me for help. And so when we get that perspective, we actually go, oh, okay, God, I, this is 15 minutes is really hard for me, but you're excited about that 15 minutes. Okay, I want to try and do 20. But if we think of him as, God, I can barely do 15 minutes in prayer and reading the Bible and you're just discouraged and you don't even come into the room until 15, 30 minutes in. So I'm not even catching you. I can't stay there long enough. He goes, 
I was there every second. That was so exciting. And God was actually touching you. And if we can remove that perspective that he's angry at us for those small things, we will actually come closer to him in our weaknesses. So we were designed for encounter just because we are a spiritual being. The Holy Spirit lives in us. First Corinthians 619, it says that we are one spirit with the Lord. And there's a real, it's a real dimension to that. Ephesians 2, 6 and 7, we've been raised up and seated with Jesus. That is right now our spirit man is joined to him in the heavenly places. And we have access to God. And that's our design. And then I was saying this last week that we have emotions and we have a brain. I was actually studying the brain a little bit today. Andrea, you'd be proud of me. Anyway, just the capacity of the brain to think about God, to comprehend And for our emotions to feel God, that is supernatural. God isn't revealing himself. He's not revealing himself to cows. I'll just put it that way. He's not like talking intimately with animals and fish. Sure, they have some kind of revelation and they probably have a song that they're singing. I don't not experience that stuff. But he is interacting with us at a whole nother level. Just picture Jesus talking to a cow right now. And then he just tips them over. He's not interacting with them. They're like a whole nother category, a lesser category. And then you think of the four living creatures that are right around the throne of God. And there's a whirlwind on fire and God's in the midst of it. And there's lightnings and thunderings breaking out. And the living creatures have eyes all around them. And they see him night and day. And they are the worship leaders with the 24 elders right by God's throne. And God says, if you look at them and if you're amazed by how much access they have, And how much they see of God. He goes, be amazed at this. You have more access. You have more eyes than they have. You have more nearness than the living creatures have right now. By the Holy Spirit. (laughs) The cow thing. Yeah. (laughs) There was a donkey that talked. Somewhere in the Old Testament. What that voice sound like? So that is our, that's our experience. That's our design. And then God has made us with longings and desires. Just the next time you feel like a strong desire, whether it's for a person or for something, just stop for a second and go, man, where did this come from? And where is this? What is this? Um, where's it coming from on the inside? And who designed me with these longings and these desires? And it might be a negative. You might feel a pain or a loneliness or there's some kind of a longing that isn't met right now in the season. You're going, this doesn't feel good. Who made me like this? Jesus did. So part of being made in his image is that we have a spirit. We have emotions just like God does. And he designed us with longings and desires that would be our, uh, our tip off that there is something greater that can satisfy us. If you look around, if you have unbelieving family and friends or coworkers, what are they doing to satisfy what God put in them? What, what do they do Monday to Friday to somehow satisfy longings and desires that you have, but you get to interact with God and God gets to satisfy those. You have a place to go to. They don't have a place. So what do they do? Maybe you could ask them sometime. Just say, hey, you know, when you feel these things, what do you do? Do you cope with them? Do you satisfy them in some way? And some of you might not want to ask because you know what they do. But there's that you can't escape longings. No human being is void of those things. You don't have a bunch of longings that the other person doesn't. We all have the same makeup on the inside. It's how God hardwired us to the core. We were made to encounter him. So just to get that point clear that we were made for pleasure, we have a heart that was just made for, it's crying out for, for pleasure to experience God face-to-face, one-on-one. And right now, it's just a closing the eyes face-to-face. But in a minute, it's going to be a literal face-to-face with God. And he's given us the capacity on the inside to actually look at him, experience him, and not die. That's what we're going to experience in the next age. And this is what Genesis 1 and 2 is all about. So we want to encounter and we're designed for it. He wants us to long for it. And you could go on a long fast just saying, Jesus, just touch me. Just ruin my heart for anything less. I want to just weep as I read the Bible and feel your love. 
I want to feel your love, Jesus, as much as you will give in this age. Give it to me, Jesus. He would love for that to be your cry, for that to be your prayer. Genesis 1 and 2 is a creation account. It's the, these two chapters are primarily about you. You know, just read through it again. And instead of in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 26, when God said, let us make man in our image, just put your name in there for a second. Let's make Jung in our image. Let's make Megan, Dave, in our image. Just put yourself in there. You are the main character of this story. Let us make man or humanity in our image. This is the centerpiece of these two chapters. And why? Why is humanity the centerpiece of the two chapters? Chapter 1, I see it, is that God is revealing to us that He wants intimate partnership with humans. He says, let us make them in our image. And then He makes them and He blesses them and says, uh, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over all the things that I've made. God wants to rule with His people in intimate partnership. And Gen- uh, I'm sorry, Genesis 2 focused more on the intimacy, the relationship that God wants with His people. So we were made for pleasure and partnership. I'm going to maybe take uh, more time on the, the idea that we are made for pleasure and that God has made that to be a godly longing in a different session. But just to give a second on it, um, the garden was in itself a paradise. Eden means paradise. It was a garden. And when you look into, uh, start getting into chapter 2, God could have set Adam anywhere. But he goes, I'm going to pick the optimal, most beautiful context to relate to people. And gardens in the ancient times, they were uh, kings specifically, or the really elite in society had gardens. But I'm thinking kings specifically. They had gardens, and they would be elaborate. They would be like zoos, basically. These rare animals and plants, and it'd be these huge properties that they had for themselves and maybe their family to just walk around and enjoy what God had made, just to enjoy rare, exotic animals and fragrances and beautiful sights. Whoever likes to go to huge gardens, you know, there's something in it's like, that is awesome. Jesus loves beauty. Jesus loves, he made everything that is beautiful. When you go, that is beautiful. Jesus told you that was beautiful. I said it last week, but my daughter goes, that's pretty, mommy. I like all the colors on the sunset or the flowers or whatever. There's something in us that knows how to define beauty because God himself made everything. He goes, I want the sunset to always look like that. (laughs) I want those colors. I want those horizons. And he gets to fashion everything. And he goes, this is how I want it to look. Jesus enjoys looking on his creation. He's never bored with it. So he, he picks the most optimal context for Adam to open his eyes and for him to look around going, this is crazy. This is beautiful and amazing. And Jesus saying, I want to talk to you in a beautiful garden. Adam, I want to take a walk with you in a beautiful garden. Let me show you the animals and the plants and the flowers and things like that. And so he designed it like that. At the end of the Bible, the new Jerusalem is a garden. It is a paradise. Everything that we're going to experience in eternity in that city. That's what heaven is. It's a city. And it is a huge paradise. It's a garden. And I've only heard stories of people that have been there. But just the amazing beauty of the food and the animals and the plants. And just the atmosphere is beautiful. There's fragrances. Uh, Kirk, the guy that came here a couple weeks ago, he was sharing a story. And uh, he had a friend. And she, um, before she got saved, she had multiple face-to-face encounters with Jesus. That's before she was saved. And one time she's driving a car. And Jesus appears in her car as she's driving. And she's just taken back. And he looks at her and he's just smiling. And he goes, ask me any question that you want right now. And she's just like, my brain is just done. I don't know what to say. He's like, ask me any question that you want. She's like, what is your favorite color? And he goes, the sunset. And she goes, that's not just one color. He goes, yes, it is. There's more colors than you've ever seen in heaven. And she's like, whoa. And she goes, what is your favorite music? And he goes, the human voice. I love it when people sing to me. (laughs) Jesus enjoys all of creation. It actually touches him. He made it. It's, It's his own DNA, but it still brings pleasure to him. And so this is what he's like as a bridegroom God. He's joyful. He's filled with pleasure. Okay. 
we can experience God in our minds and our emotions. Sorry, I missed a point. I'm going to say more on this at a different day, but the Old Testament temples, when you read through the temple stories, Moses, David, Solomon, um, they were meant to be like a replica of the garden. And there's some more details I'd want to say on that, but the temples were a way for man to come back through, get past the sin issue and enter into an unhindered communion with God. So that relationship, God says, the temple is me showing you a way back into the garden, back into the full restoration of relationship uh, without the issue of sin. But the actual imagery, if you look at Solomon's temple and some of Moses' temple, there is a lots of garden imagery. The, the reason was because the garden was a place of unhindered communion with God. And like in Solomon's temple specifically, you see ornate uh, designs on all of the temple. It was meant to be a garden, and God was saying, this is the way back into my presence. But he goes, I want the temple not just to be a sterile building. I want it to be a garden. And so there is so much imagery there. There was angel wings over the Ark of the Presence and lots of flowers and plants and different things that were designed into the wood or in different fabrics. And so even the temple imagery, it was a garden. God saying, this is the way back in. We want to take... Whatever it takes to encounter God, we want to do it. All it takes to encounter God is an obedient heart and a consistent dialogue with Him over these truths of Him as a bridegroom. Okay, I want to turn to Genesis 2 and talk about Jesus' heart, Jesus' longing heart for a companion. And the way to encounter Jesus as a bridegroom, which is the purpose of these teachings, as you take these, these uh, verses and these ideas and you close your eyes and you give Jesus a chunk of time and you say these words back to him. And as you say Bible truth back to Jesus with, a, with your eyes closed or a posture of prayer, when you do that, that activates the Holy Spirit to write that truth on your mind and your emotions. And you get to experience it a little bit more. So if you're saying it, just stay in that posture of saying truth back to him and you can listen for him to say things but i just like to say it back to him in a dialogue sing it a little bit and you'll be surprised how much your mind begins to have these divine thoughts of like wow that's a really cool thought you'll say it back to him and lots of your divine thoughts as you're saying things to jesus are actually the holy spirit giving you language holy spirit say this say this and as you're saying these truths back to god it's actually writing something on you And before you know it, your heart is getting more and more tender just in the prayer session. And you begin to get a little bit tender and go, oh, yes, God, you're longing for me. And you begin to be more aware of that truth on the inside. You ever read that book, the Five Love Languages book? Ever heard of that? Uh, I feel like Jesus' love language is quality time. And then maybe words of affection after that. But that quality time, just that, just turning things off. And it's so simple if you give it time and just let your mind dial down. But just taking these truths of these verses and saying it back to him. And you will get so many more thoughts and just say it back to him. And before you know it, you'll have some tears coming down your eyes. And then you'll be like, wow, I want 15 more minutes. God stirs and awakens those desires. Once we begin to experience him more and more. So... Genesis 1 is kind of a summary of the creation story in my perspective. And then Genesis 2, he's going more in depth on the the idea of making man in his image. So to me, this story I'm going to be talking about is Adam and Eve. The Adam and Eve story to me is, it's almost like going back to that Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image. What did God feel when he said that statement? Let us make man in our image. To me, the Adam and Eve story, how God made Eve out of Adam, that is like a picture of what God felt in Genesis 1.26. Let us make man in our image. Because in Genesis 2, Adam represents Jesus, and Eve represents the believer. Ephesians 5.25-32 basically says that the Adam and Eve story was real, but it was a prophetic or a future picture of how Jesus felt about the church. And so we can look back at the Genesis story and we can get 
a, a prophetic interpretation of what was happening. God was giving a physical display of what he feels for his church. Genesis 2 verse 7. Again, going back to now, he's, he's making Adam. So we're getting into more of a detailed account of the Adam and Eve creation part. Verse 7. The Lord God formed man out of the dust, out of the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. That word for formed, which Jesus only does with the animals and with humanity. Everything else was spoken. He formed Adam. And that word was for like a, a uh, master potter taking clay and taking great detail and great effort to make a piece of art. That's what that word means, formed. A master craftsman at the potter's wheel just taking time to form perfectly what he's making and careful to have details, accuracy. That's what that word is implying, formed. So it's not like he just kind of slapped some clay in the wheel and spun it around. Very detailed. And he formed Adam out of the dust. And Adam, I forget what the Hebrew words are specifically, but Adam and the word for dust are very similar. The word Adam comes from the word for for dust. So Adam is coming from the dust. And then Jesus breathed life into his nostrils. And man became a living being. Jesus actually gave him spiritual life. And there was a divine connection. And there was a presence resting on Adam from that point on. In John 20, verse 22, before Jesus goes up to heaven, he actually does the same thing to his disciples. He breathes on them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. I think he was doing the same thing. He's like, I am now beginning a new creation, and I am breathing the same breath that I breathed into Adam. I'm giving it to you, giving it to you the Holy Spirit. John 20, verse 22. Verse 8, the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put Adam, whom he had formed. Verse 9, out of the ground the Lord made every tree to grow that is pleasant to the sight. Isn't that awesome? Pleasant to the sight. Beautiful for Jesus and for Adam to see. And good for food. God cared that Adam had good food. Amen. And the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. This is interesting. The tree of life is the tree that's in heaven right now. Adam had access to that heavenly city. There was a Heaven and earth were fully joined together and Adam had access to the tree of life. And that's, that's where we're going in the resurrection. But later on, when Adam and Eve sinned, they're removed from the garden because the Lord says, if they eat of the tree of life, they will live forever. Meaning there's a supernatural experience of life just eating fruit from the tree of life. And it, the next few verses, he begins to give more explanation of what's happening in the garden. And then verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded, saying, of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but do not eat of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God puts Adam in this garden and says, I want you to help develop this place of communion. And a garden was like a set apart place. It, so it was an enclosed place. I don't know if there was walls in some way or there was some kind of a barrier that was um, blocking but protecting also the sacred place for Adam and for the Lord to be. And the Lord says, your job is to tend the plants and the animals and the fruit. I want you to make this and help develop this garden as a place of communion. And I think that's what God says to our hearts. I want you to tend the garden of your heart because this is a place where we commune. And then verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now we're getting into the Adam and Eve story where God is going to make a one for Adam that wasn't there. And this is where we get in also to the prophetic picture of how Jesus feels for the church. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. This is before sin. Before any brokenness comes into creation, God says it's not good for you to be alone. Right? One, I just love that God cares. Adam, I know that this isn't how you were designed. You weren't designed to be alone. He goes, it's not good. And that was before sin ever entered in. But this is really the Father's heart for Jesus. Because you might say, well, Adam never had 
sin issues, never had brokenness. He was in the full presence of God. Why would it not be okay for him to be alone? Wouldn't he be fully satisfied with God's presence and no sin and eating the eating of the tree of life? He's got, he's got paradise. And the father says, it's not good for you to be alone. This is also the father saying this about Jesus. The same thing. Jesus is fully God. He is the fullness of joy. All life comes from him. Why would it not be good for him to be alone? Does that make sense? Adam had paradise and Jesus himself was paradise. But the father is saying it's not good for you to be alone. And so this is where the the prophetic account begins. And uh, so I'm going to talk about it literally, but also how it applies to Jesus. And how Jesus longs for us. Because a father right now for Jesus wants Jesus to have a companion, wants him to have friends, wants him to have a bride uh, that is fully in love with him. And Jesus himself wants this. And I don't get this, but Jesus is fully content on the inside. Yet at the same time, he weeps because he doesn't have the attention of people on the earth. How is that possible? Jesus, you have the fullness of joy. You've never lacked anything, yet you can lack something. You can have people reject you, and it actually causes pain on the inside of him. He's, he's vulnerable. His heart is open. And so we can't define what God is like. He's not just distant and sterile and unapproachable, and his heart is closed. He's a God of mercy, and he really feels things and thinks things. And so just want to say this to you from the Bible that Jesus longs for you. That Jesus longs for you as an individual. And he longs for a global church to love him from all the ages. And the Father desires this for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field in the air. Verse 19. And whatever Adam... I'm sorry. He, the Lord brought all these animals to Adam to see what he would call them. And each living creature that was its name. So Adam names all the animals... Cattle, birds of the air, beasts of the field. But for Adam, a helper was not comparable to him. So verse 18 is talking about God wanting a helper for Adam. And then verse 19, he started to name animals. You're like, well, hold on a second. Where are we going here? It's actually the same story. God says it's not okay for you to be alone. And Adam's going, okay, yeah, I feel that. And that makes sense, what you're saying. And then now God is actually bringing all these animals to Adam. How long did that take? How many animals? Was it everything or, you know, was he naming every bug, every bird? And how long did it take? And why was God bringing all these animals to Adam? He's bringing all the animals and Adam is naming them. And what's happening in the story is that God is actually giving Adam the ability to see that every animal has one of its kind. No animal is alone. There's two tigers, two lions, or something like that. There's groups coming in, and they're in families, or they're in pairs. And Adam's going, they all have a companion. They all have a companion. They all have a companion. And what I think was happening was Adam was allowed to experience a fresh longing for a friend, for a companion. And in his situation, a bride. God was using this situation for Adam to see all these animals, all of creation he gets to watch. And he gets to name them. And the Lord is right next to him, which I think is Jesus. And Jesus is just watching Adam going, what are you feeling right now? What are you observing right now? You don't have anyone like you, Adam. You don't have anyone like you to relate to you. You can't talk to the cow. (laughs) You can't really do that. Maybe they did in some capacity, but you're not going to be friends with the animals. You You can't relate to them. There can't be an intimate relationship. And they don't have the capacity like you do to even have friendship with one another. They're designed differently. And I think Jesus was just standing by going, what are you feeling right now, Adam? What are you feeling right now, Adam? And I think he was awakening desires through this situation. Verse 20, so Adam gave names to all the animals, but there was not found a helper comparable to him. And what was Adam then saying to the Lord? There's no one for me. There's no one like me. This is paradise and you're right here, but I'm missing something. And you made me to long uh, with such intensity for a companion. And maybe there's some kind of a dialogue there of Adam talking to Jesus. Maybe Jesus was giving him some insight into what he was feeling. 
And I think there was dialogue of Jesus saying, actually, this is how I feel about you. And I think Jesus was, was giving Adam some revelation about how Jesus felt about Adam himself. <clears throat> if you go back to Genesis 1, the, the pattern is that God makes everything, and there's this phrase, according to its kind. God makes the creatures of the sea according to its kind, and they can bear fruit and they can multiply. The birds in the air, the animals on the earth, according to their kind, all through Genesis 1. And then after all the animals and birds and all the sea creatures are formed according to their kind, and they're able to bear fruit, at the end of all that, that's when God says, let's make man in our image. What's happening is everyone has a companion and everyone is able to bear fruit. And God even says that, be fruitful and multiply. He says that to the, to the animals. And at the end of all of creation, God himself goes, let's make one according to our kind. Does that make sense? All the animals have someone like them. And now at the end of that story, in Genesis 1, he goes, let's make one like us. Does that make sense? Let's make one like us. And then he says to Adam, he says, be fruitful and multiply. And he's saying that in partnership with God, let's be fruitful and multiply. And let's have leadership over the nations. So verse 20, there's a conversation with Adam and Jesus. And and, uh, verse 21, the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and and the Lord took one of Adam's ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. This is a prophetic picture of Jesus. And these are just common thoughts through church history of giving like a a prophetic uh, picture of this. That Jesus is a picture of, I'm sorry, Adam is a picture of Jesus. And the father put him into a deep sleep, which is the cross, which is the crucifixion. And when Jesus was on the cross... He was pierced in his side. And the only reason, the only way that the church or a bride could come forth was out of Jesus. It was because of his death, because he was pierced in his side or Adam's situation, a rib was taken that a church could be formed of the same likeness of Jesus, of the same image of Jesus in our spirits. And we were taken from his side as a rib, which is on the cross. And that deep sleep. And the Lord fashioned a church or a bride for his son, Jesus. And then verse 22, the rib was taken. A woman was made and then he was brought to the man. It's like the father bringing the church or bringing a bride to Jesus. This is going to be the presentation at the resurrection. We will be presented as a bride to to father, to the father's son. This is what God is waiting for as a father to bring or to usher in a new wedding. Matthew 22 talks about that. The, Father has a son and he wants a wedding day for his son. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taking out a man. Adam and Eve were of the same DNA of the same flesh. Eve literally came from Adam's flesh from his DNA. That is our, um, we are made in Jesus's image. We have that kind of relationship. We came from him. That is the, the being in his image, bearing his image, having the same capacity to be friends with him and to relate to him because we actually came from him. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. We've talked about this a lot, or just we do in the church in general, that we are the body of Christ. And that is absolutely true. But what being the body of Christ means is that we're one flesh with Jesus. So another way of saying we're the body of Christ is we're the bride of Christ. We can only be the body of Christ because we are his bride. We are one flesh with him. So we're not just a body. We're not just the hands and feet. We're only his body because we're his bride. And only the bride is one flesh with him. So it's the same thing. This is our union with him. Verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says we're one spirit with Jesus. This is the the spiritual um, application here. We're not physically one flesh, but we are one spirit with him in a real way. And uh, we've been brought together. There's been a divine union that no man or woman can separate. God has ordained this marriage between you and Jesus, between us and Jesus. And it says that 
a man shall leave his father and his mother. I always used to think it was the woman that was supposed to leave the mother and father. It's actually the husband is supposed to leave the father and the mother. And there's a cleaving. The husband's actually cleaving to his wife. There's a leaving from his family into the wife's family. But this is also talking about Jesus. What does Philippians 2 say? Jesus left everything. He left his father's house and became nothing, became a bondservant for us. And I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is still in a human body. Glorified, resurrected in heaven, but he's all, he has forever contained himself in a human frame just like you and me. He has forever left his father's house in that way to cleave himself to the human body. <laughs> he became a bondservant as a display of his love. And he has cleaved himself to us. He took the initiative. He took the pain of leaving the glory of the Father's throne and becoming like one of us. He's never going to get rid of his human body. And he's always going to rule with us from a human body. He is the son of David. He is a mom and a dad. Though he is fully God. And so Adam says, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He was probably really excited. There's different versions that have a, like a more excited version like, whoa, this is awesome. He's saying, she is beautiful. This is one that I can relate to. It's, a, it's a, uh, the answer to what he was longing for. Remember when he was naming the animals? It was maybe hours, maybe it was days, maybe it was a long process. And Jesus goes, I want this longing to be really deep and really awakened in you so you appreciate Eve. So you appreciate the companion when they come to you. And Jesus, through this whole picture, is going, Adam, this is how I feel about you. Adam, this is what I say to you. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I am going to join myself to you forever. Adam, are you aware of the longings and the intense emotions that you're feeling for a bride, for a companion? Adam, are you aware of how beautiful she is to you? How amazing it is, the affections that you're feeling right now for this person. Are you aware of those right now? That is just a glimpse. It's just a whisper of what I feel for you right now. That's what Jesus was saying in this picture. God actually longs for a relationship with us. I don't know about that. I'm not that good. There's lots of other people. How do I know that God is passionate about me? Isn't that a little bit of an exaggeration? The same passion, the same longing that drove Jesus to the cross for you when you hated him. That's the same passion he had in his heart in Genesis 1 and 2. The same desire that he had, he fully reveals it on the cross. Well, I don't know if he's that longing, right? This is, I know, this is the thought of like, is it that much longing? Like, I know he, he likes me and loves me a little bit, but is it that intense? Does Jesus ever cry over me because he's not getting enough of me? I don't know about that. He laid on a cross naked for your sins. <laughs> that was the display of passion. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Genesis 1, he was as passionate as he was on the cross. Came and he came into a human frame. He lived for 30 plus years and died a violent death on a cross. He was crushed by the Father. The most intense crucifixion, not just in the natural, but in the spirit. He bore the weight of our sins. Billions of people, their sins and the demonic warfare over him. He went through that because he was longing for friendship with you. And so as we look at the story, we go, Jesus, you are longing on the inside. You're longing on the inside. Jesus has real intense emotions. I have a number of passages, but... In the gospel stories, Luke 19, Jesus goes up um, to Jerusalem and he knows that Jerusalem is not going to receive him. And he actually stops outside the city and weeps. He goes, how I've longed to gather you in as a mother hen gathers her chicks together. How I've longed for this. And he actually weeps over that. God weeps. God feels more than you feel. You might think you're emotional. God is emotional. God is emotional. God longs for us. And it's not just a longing because we're separated. There's actually just a, a deep desire on the inside of him for you. And you might think, well, Adam was just there and Eve was there. Before Adam and Eve sinned, when they just breathed and looked at God, 
God longed for them. They didn't do anything beforehand to earn that longing that Jesus had. Jesus goes, it's just what I'm like. This is just what I'm like. I know I've imagined Adam's going, I haven't done anything. I've not done anything good or bad. Why do you feel such intense things for me? I don't think I'm that special, that cool. I'm just dust and I don't even know what to do right now. This is what I'm, I'm like this. I'm the longing God. And so God wants us to feel that. If you can come up, Megan. I just love what Megan was singing at the end of that worship time. Just gazing into the eyes of Jesus, the eyes like fire in Revelation 1. And those eyes like fire, it's just his longing. His eyes are on fire because he's consumed for you. The psalmist says in different spots in the book of Psalms, I am poor and needy, but God, you think about me. I'm poor and needy, yet you think about me. Psalm 40, Psalm 139, how precious are the thoughts of God about me. I can't even recount them. They would be greater than all the sands of all the seashores. God, I'm, I'm distracted. I'm thinking about the next meal or how that person bothers me. And you are thinking a million thoughts about me an hour. What are you thinking about? How much is there about me to think? This is just what God is like. He thinks about us. He is amazing. God is love. God is longing. God is passion. So we want to feel this. We want to look at the story and say, Jesus, you long for me. You long for a companion. You're longing for a bride. You're longing for a friendship with me. And again, not just that he's asking for more of your time. He's just saying, I just want you even more. You are my companion. I just want you to know that I desire you with an intensity. And that's a cool idea for a moment. But the way to experience it is to close our eyes and say these ideas back to Jesus. Whether it's 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or an hour, and just say, God, I'm not going to move until my heart is moving. I'm not going to move until my heart is moving with this reality. Just play a little bit. Just want you to close your eyes for a second. <clears throat> Dave, if you can turn the piano on up there and the keys voice. <clears throat> This is so critical to, to actually begin to experience this revelation that, that Jesus longs for us and that he, uh, there's a deep longings in his heart for our nearness to him. And when we give him anything, how much it moves him. Genesis 1.18 this is Jesus' desire for a comparable helper, for a bride to have deep friendship with him. So I just want us to take a minute and just close your eyes. And I want to make this really personal and just see if the Lord would touch your heart in some way. Just ask him a question. Try and picture him in your imagination and just whisper to him, Jesus, do you long for me? And just wait, I think God really wants to just give you an impression, a picture, a thought, a feeling. Look into his eyes. In your imagination, just picture him right now. And just whisper the question a number of times. Jesus, do you long for me? Is it possible that you long for me? Really expect him to, to give you an impression right now. Really wait for him to give you a little impression. You might feel something in your emotions. You might have a thought or a phrase. And just trust that, that the, that's the Lord right now. He might whisper a little phrase or a couple words. Just take that as it's from him.
whispering something to you or if you're feeling it, then say something back to him. Respond to him or ask him again. Maybe you're saying, Jesus, I, I don't feel like you do. I have these accusations in my mind when I talk to you. Just say that to him. Show me what you feel about me, Jesus. Right now, in this moment, show me what you feel for me. communion Jesus says to to some of us he wants greater nearness as in the garden he desires you desire we are your inheritance 
We are the Father's gift to you, Jesus. That we would know the glory of the riches of your inheritance in us. We are your inheritance, Jesus. We are the Father's gift to you. Amen. So again, Megan's going to play just for a couple more minutes. You can leave if you need to or go in the other room. If you want to stay here and just pray, you can stay in here just for a few minutes.
心。